Our scripture reading this morning is from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 through 29. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing about or with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus. Everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends of God, I do believe Help me with my unbelief, or help me overcome my unbelief. That's the place in the story that we find ourselves. This is the point where where we we contact uh, our 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 souls, our hearts, with this story in Scripture. I, you know, we're like that father. We find ourselves with that father whose faith is mixed with doubt. This father wants something from Jesus, and he needs to believe that Jesus can do it. But he also knows that there's a place in his heart that that doesn't believe. And we've all been there. That place of doubt-ridden faith. We know, we know, we need to believe. We we know Jesus calls us to believe, and, and you know, we hear that. And we know that we have to do a self-searching inventory of our heart and soul. And, and, you know, there is part of us that really does believe it, does believe in Jesus, does believe that Jesus gives us hope, that, that Jesus does give us freedom, that Jesus does give us salvation. But there's some doubt there, too. And as we journey to the cross this Lenten season, this passage moves us to examine How much do we trust Jesus? How how much faith 
do I have? How much is enough? How badly do I want more? And this story draws us into those questions through the interactions of Jesus with the father of the, of the boy with the evil spirit. To our modern, modern ears, it sounds a lot like this boy has epilepsy. But the Bible describes it not simply as a chronic neurological disorder, but there is a spirit in him that is doing terrible things. It's a demon that robs him of speech. And so we're drawn into the question of Jesus' authority. Does Jesus have authority even over a well-entrenched demon? And the question we asked this morning is, can Jesus defeat tenacious evil? Can he? Do you believe that? There are signs that he, he doesn't. He, he, can't, he doesn't have authority. For one thing, there's the long history of the demon possession in this boy. It's an entrenched condition. This boy has had this since he was a little child. Nothing has been strong enough to rid him of this problem. It has threatened him every day of his life by throwing him into water, throwing him into fire. And it's hurt him. It's hurt his father. It's never gone away. And his father asks Jesus for pity. Lord, pity us. And it moves you to think that he's had a painful life dedicated to keeping his son alive, of being constantly on watch, constantly vigilant about what's going to happen because I don't know what's going to happen from minute to minute with him. And he tries to give him a life of his own and and he's searching for a cure for his condition. We assume he's tried everything and has come to Jesus because he heard he might be able to help. But why would this rabbi be any different than the ones who came before? And compounding this is the experience he's just had with Jesus' disciples. The disciples could not cast it out. They couldn't cast it out. And notice how the father frames this. He says, teacher, I brought you my son. I brought you my son. He brought him to Jesus, even though It was physically to the disciples. Jesus was away on the Mount of Transfiguration at this time and and having that experience with, with Moses and Elijah and three of his disciples. But even though Jesus was away, the Father saw the disciples as stand ins for Jesus. If the rabbi can cast out this demon, so can his disciples. After all, the messenger of the man is the man himself. So if you go to Jesus' disciples, you are going to Jesus. They carry his authority and power. But the disciples had failed. After all that time of being with Jesus, after all that time of of learning about Jesus and his ways and and Jesus giving them lessons on how how to do things, and even in Mark chapter 6, just three chapters before our our story, Jesus has given them authority. He says, I I give you authority over the demons. Now go and and see what happens. And and they, they went out, and they were amazed at the success of it. They could do it. Jesus had given them this power, and they could do it. And, and, and this 
experience was a shocking failure to them. Imagine their shock, imagine their shame when they said, yeah, we can do that, and nothing happens. And they're you know, standing there with a mouthful of teeth trying to explain themselves. What? And what's more, their, their, their failure got them into a big argument with the religious leaders of the day, who no doubt said, see, this Jesus is nothing. This Jesus is a spiritual fraud who's misleading the people. They were always saying things like that and looking for reasons to say it. Find fault, poke holes in the ministry. It was a hard day for these disciples and it rattled them. But this story isn't, is more than just a story of a healing. It's not just about whether Jesus or his disciples could cast out a demon because there's a deeper story here. The story parallels what has happened with Jesus earlier in chapter one. When Jesus was baptized, there was a moment of glory that included the voice of God, followed immediately by a period of testing by the devil. As, As chapter one says, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, He saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. And in our passage, Jesus has just been on the, the Mount of Transfiguration, where there was another expression of glory, and Jesus shone like the sun, like, like his, his clothes were whiter than the whitest bleach you can ever get. And there was a voice that says, you are my son with whom I'm well pleased. And now he's come down the mountain, and what greets him? A demon-possessed boy. Another demon. Can he defeat this entrenched demon plaguing this boy? And, and Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And he's been starting to talk about dying and rising from the dead, which was all very puzzling for his disciples because they didn't know what he was talking about. Jesus was was about to face the deepest evil, the most persistent and wicked curse that affects the earth. He's about to face the power of sin and death itself. So here, in our passage is a, is a backward glance to, to his, um, his baptism, uh, a backward glance to his transfiguration, and it's a foretaste of what's to come, presented to him in the body of a boy. Can he heal the boy from this evil, just like he defeated Satan during this temptation? And by extension, can he heal us from the deepest, most entrenched evil we face? The question hangs in the air while Jesus and this desperate father stand there watching him. Can you imagine just watching him? And Jesus says, huh, how long has this been going on? It's like, what? Why, why aren't you acting? Like, what's, Jesus sometimes baffles me. Signs indicate, though, that Jesus can't do it because his disciples can't do it. And today, 
we still face entrenched evil, steadfast entrenched evil. It convulses the earth. It threatens us. It hurts us. It's unrelenting. And we wonder, can Jesus do anything about that? That question still hangs in the air as we face the wrongs, as we face the the troubles, as we face the evils of this world. You know, some of us are asking, can Jesus do something about the cancer that was just discovered in my body? Can Jesus do anything about the rockets ripping apart the people of eastern Ukraine? Can Jesus do anything for my friend's addiction or my nephew's mental illness? Can he change the bullies I face? What authority does Jesus really have? Can Jesus help us or not? And the Father is not so sure. Oh, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. The Father has his doubts about Jesus. Jesus' disciples were powerless. The possessing spirit is the one in control. And he thinks, this Jesus might be able to help me, but he, may, he might not. And the good news that we hear in this text is that he does have, in, the, in this situation of, of powerlessness, of moldering unbelief, the seemingly invincible evil, Jesus claims authority. And he responds to the man's plea. He says, if you can? Yes, there is tone there. If you can, says Jesus. What what do you mean by that? If you can. Why, of course I can. And then he adds the hopeful words, everything is possible for one who believes. And it's a bold call. Trust me. Trust me. Accept my authority. Look to me for help in times of hopelessness and trouble. It's a bold call to reorient your life toward trust, a growing trust in him. Jesus turns the tables on this father. The father has set limits on Jesus, on what Jesus can do. He's, he said, yeah, I don't know if he can do it. But Jesus calls on him, and he invites him into a faith that sets no limits on God, and he even connects his healing to his faith. His he, this healing depends on the answer this father gives. If you believe, your son will be healed. It's not enough to be desperate. It's not enough to be pitiful. It's not enough even just to ask. Jesus says, do you believe? You need to believe. Everything is possible for the one who believes, Jesus says. And now the father has to search his heart to find an answer. Do I really believe in Jesus? Or am I just so desperate I'll ask anyone for help? Do I really believe in Jesus? Or, Or am I going to join with those ones who are arguing over there, saying, yeah, what a fraud. And if I do have faith, how much faith do I have? And and how much do I need? And and how how much do I dare express in front of all those arguing people who are now gonna, you know, turn on me if I say I do? And how honest do I dare to be with Jesus about my doubts? 
And in, in Mark, everything happens so immediately. Boom, it, it happens in, in Mark. So, uh, and this father's faith inventory work is no exception because it says, immediately the father exclaimed, I, I do have, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. He quickly found that something was in his heart. And, and the word here for exclaimed has, has, is a word, a strong word expressing deep emotion. The, the Greek word is kradzdo. It's, it's one of those, um, those onomatopoeic words that sound the way, what they mean. It means crying out. It means, yes, I do. It, it's just coming from this deep, deep place where of used for inarticulate cries. Uh, you know, the hoarse cry when you can't find the words. He exclaimed, Kratzo. His father, or this father has gone deep into his soul and found some connection, some hope, some flicker of light. He may not even know how to articulate it. And what strikes us is the profound honesty of his expression, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. I do believe, but my faith isn't perfect. I do believe, but don't ask me deep questions about it. I'm standing here not wanting to set limits on you, and I don't. But don't hold me to much else, Jesus. And the good news is that was enough. Jesus didn't wait until his faith was fully formed, full and abundant and well-expressed and winsome. You know, he didn't wait until he had been discipled and come to full spiritual formation and been baptized and, and, was, able to, and was able to argue the finer points of theology. I do believe that you have power to heal my son, but there's part of me that needs help to fully believe this. And that was enough for Jesus. You know, doubt is not denial. To doubt is to examine and to question something. To deny is to reject, is to say no. But to doubt is to say, well, let me, let me just think about this. Let me just wrap my mind around this. There's a big difference between doubt and denial. It's okay to have doubts and not necessarily a sign of weak or endangered faith. The monks of old would not be scandalized by your doubts. They thought of doubt as a seed of faith. It's a sign that faith is alive and ready to, to grow. Or as one of my favorite writers, Frederick Beekner, puts it, whether your faith is that there is a God or that there is not a God, if you don't have any doubts, you're either kidding yourself or asleep. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. And Jesus accepted that. He accepted that you will have those ants in the pants of your faith, those, those doubts. And you know, this, this passage has been misused so much in the Christian tradition, the Christian faith, especially by faith healers who connect the promise of healing to the amount of faith you have. As one writer I found put it, years ago I, I used to attend a church that believed in faith healing. And they really did believe that if you had enough faith, you would always be physically healed. I heard the verse, all things are possible for those who believe, quoted frequently. 
And I saw the pain and anguish that this verse caused sick people who left church not only still sick, but also feeling judged that they were people of little faith. The misuse of this verse was one of the reasons I left that church. For these faith healers, they always win. If you get healed, then it's because of their gift. And if you are not healed, it's because, well, you don't believe. It's your fault, not mine. And if God answers no to their prayers and there's no healing, that person is still suffering and is now feeling guilty and somehow responsible for their own illness. But Jesus doesn't require a deep faith. Jesus doesn't require you, you know, it doesn't say, hey, if you've got enough faith, I'm gonna, I'm gonna heal your son. He just says, do you believe this? Yes, enough. A little faith was all it was needed, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. The good news is that Jesus does indeed have power even over strong evil. And because this isn't just a story about the healing of a demon-possessed boy, but an anticipation of Jesus' power over sin and death, it calls us to think about what we believe Jesus can do about our sin, about our future after death, about our life even now. Does Jesus really have the power and authority to defeat our worst enemy? Can he forgive my sin? Can he give me life after death? And the good news is that yes, he can. And he does. Just as he defeated the devil in the desert, just as he cast out the difficult demon, so he's able to win victory over or through the unlikely way of the cross. And there at the cross, it wasn't God who spoke, but God spoke through the centurion who said, surely this is the Son of God. There was an affirmation even there. All things are possible for those who believe. Lent is the season when we do that heart work, that soul-searching inventory of what we believe Jesus does for us. And this passage is both comforting and challenging. It's comforting to know that Jesus will accept your small faith. We are enough. Your faith is enough. Do not worry about your doubts because we all have them. We all wonder whether Jesus can offer everything he says he can offer. Abundant life, healing, eternal life, peace in this world, restoration of creation, wipe away all tears. Really? Jesus, can you do that for us, for this world? Well, yes, he can. You don't have to have a perfect, impeccable faith in order for Jesus to bring you these things. We are all on our way. We are all being spiritually formed. And it also presents us with a challenge. How badly do I want more faith? How badly do I want Jesus to help me with my unbelief? If faith is a gift of God, how badly do we ask for this gift, expect this gift, Thank God for this gift. The vision of Community CRC is that we are growing in our relationship to God, to each other, and with our community. And in the Lenten season, this story gives us an opportunity to grow in our relationship to God. What if you made this prayer of this Father your prayer as you lead 
your way to the cross, as you wend your way to the cross. What if you prayed this prayer? Jesus, I believe in you. Help me with my unbelief. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you're able to help me. But I don't always see it. And sometimes I despair that the world will fall into a smoking ruin. But I trust you. I trust you to be in control of this world. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea as we heard this morning. And I don't always know how this sin thing works and, and how forgiveness works and, and your cross. And, but help me trust more deeply the power of your cross and the victory it brings. And, and what if during this season and beyond this season even, our church was a place where we can honestly speak about our faith and our doubts and we can find encouragement. We can be a place where we open ourselves to the, to the deep mystery of our faith, the cross, the resurrection, and so grow in faith with each other. In our communities, in our Bible studies, in our gatherings, this can be the place where we live out this prayer as a congregation. Lord, we believe. Help us all come to fuller faith. Help us all be formed more fully in the way of Christ. Believe with what you have in you. You have enough. And look to Jesus for more. This is the posture we take as we journey to the cross this season. Oh Lord, as I read this story, I find it so easy to relate to the Father. I can imagine his desperation as he sought deliverance from, for his son. And I can feel this hopeful fear as he admitted to you that he believed but needed help with his unbelief. How often I have prayed to you just like this father. Thank you, gracious God, for hearing my prayers of mustard seed-sized faith. Thank you for not rejecting me when I question or doubt. Thank you for giving me the freedom to lay myself before you in all your towering glory and deep mystery, just as I am. Thank you for all you have done, for all you are doing to strengthen my faith. By your grace, help me to trust you more, even today. And as your Saint Richard once prayed, Lord, help me see you more clearly, love you more dearly, and follow you more nearly, day by day. Amen.